<laughs> well, I love hearing you confess that. And you're the type of church that actually makes sure that occurs. And, and I can testify today because of that, people's lives have been changed. I was able to pray with someone last night who's going to be soon with Jesus. And because of the testimony of this church, came to know Jesus Christ, was baptized, professed faith in Jesus Christ, and now has the assurance of eternal life. So church, keep on magnifying Jesus Christ. If you would, go ahead and find uh, your Bibles and then open them to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. We're looking today at the church at Smyrna. And the title of the message is Tribulation and Triumph. It would be wonderful to be able to say that today the title of the message is Triumph. But we live in the real world, and the real world we have trials, we have trouble. Jesus promised us that, but he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so therefore, we also have triumph, and it will be through tribulation. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, if you're able to, would you stand with me? I don't want to read our text. It'll be just through verse 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words to the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Tribulation and triumph. We'll come back here in just a moment, but you had to notice, I'm sure, some of the tables that were set up by our graduating seniors, those graduating from high school. And if you're like me and you walk by those tables, I think, what was I doing when I was in high school? What would have been on my table? We have a group of overachievers, and uh, it's very intimidating to stand in front of some of these seniors. And I I was thinking about my graduation. Uh, How long ago did you graduate? You remember it, don't you? Shortly after I graduated, a movie came out. The movie was called Top Gun. Have you ever heard of that movie? You know when that movie came out? 1986. And I don't think I've seen that movie since 1986, frankly. Um, And I watched that movie, and like a lot of young guys thought, oh, man, I want to be a fighter pilot. A lot of guys thought that. Uh, if you couldn't be a fighter pilot, at least you could buy the Ray-Bans Top Gun glasses. Ray-Bans credited the movie Top Gun for their sales of those particular gold-rimmed, green-lensed glasses going up 40%. But the Navy also credited the movie Top Gun for one of the top recruiting years they'd ever experienced Almost 500% more people visited a Navy recruiter wanting to go into the military and possibly being a top gun. Some of those who entered the Navy only discovered that they didn't become a top gun, but 
the person who scraped the side of a ship or painted the inside of a room. Some of you are shaking your heads because you, are, you have a proud Navy heritage, but you're not a top gun. And, and I want just to say, that's probably most of us today. Most of us are not top guns. We're not top of the class. We're just average, and that's okay. I love what George Bush said. George W. said, to those who are graduating with high honors and awards and distinctions, I say, well done. But I'd like to tell you, C students, you can become president too. <laughs> I think Smyrna, why would I talk about Top Gun? And you know, my daughter's graduating this year. We have this in common at least. Her table is far more full than mine would have been. Um, this year, when she graduates, Top Gun will again be the top movie. Why, Scott, when you should be preaching the Word of God, are you talking about a PG-13 movie? Only to say this, the people of Smyrna probably weren't top guns either. When they compared themselves to the people around them, they felt like they were impoverished. They were not ones who have considered themselves above average. But it's here that we read that our Lord takes the average those who seem to be impoverished, kind of behind, and make something special of them. And I want to say this to all of us because God's word's clear that he can take the weaknesses of his children and weaponize them against the enemy and cause those weaknesses to be witnesses for the glory of Jesus Christ among the lost. Case in point, there have been those in history that have had weaknesses that God has used extraordinarily powerfully. I mean, think about G. Campbell Morgan, who preached from the time he was 12 years of age until he was 76. At 12 years of age, he preached in a school classroom. He was known as the peerless expositor, one of the greatest preachers the English world has ever known. But when he went up before a Methodist bored to be ordained, they said to him, you cannot preach, and then they stamped on his statement, rejected. He went home to his father in great tears and brokenheartedness. I've been rejected. His father wrote back just these words, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. I think these are the words to the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna may have felt rejected by the world, but Jesus would say, accepted in heaven. You seem poor, but you're truly rich. There are others like that. Amy Carmichael, who spent 20 years of her life as an invalid, reaching those in Japan who were trapped in slavery, winning them to Jesus Christ. The world might have said she's a poor girl, this impoverished girl, this poor soul who is in a wheelchair. But Jesus said, you're rich. D.L. Moody, one of my favorite characters of recent history. You know the story of D.L. Moody probably, if you never heard. He was a gentleman that thought he would be a millionaire in business, but God called him to evangelism as a layman, a Sunday school teacher who said this. He said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who'll save anybody. When he was going to be ordained, he was also told, you can't be ordained. And he said this, that's okay. I don't need your empty hands on my empty head anyway. The church is full of average people. 
a ragtag group of disciples who the world just looked at as average. Who are these people? Unlearned, uneducated, turning the world upside down. Now, some of you may be above average in education, and God can use you too. He used William Carey, for instance, who taught himself Greek and then became the father of modern missions. He went to India, where he showed us what it meant to reach the unreached. Or probably the greatest mind that the world, our world, in the Western Hemisphere has ever known, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards graduated high school at 13 and went to Yale. He eventually would become the president of Princeton University, but Jonathan Edwards, who preached at his church for 23 years, ran in headlong problems with his own grandfather. His grandfather was allowing people to take communion in the church who were not truly converted, allowing them to take the supper even though they had not professed true faith in Christ. Jonathan Edwards took the pulpit and said, that's not going to happen. And because of that, he was fired from his pulpit after 23 years. He may have looked to be a failure to this world, but because of Jonathan Edwards, we experienced one of the greatest awakenings in American history when it comes to spiritual revival. I think what Jesus would say, you may seem impoverished, but you are rich. Most of us are not top guns. Most of us are never going to be the ones that are going to be lauded by our world. Some of us uh, didn't graduate cum laude, which means high praise. We just graduated, thank you, Lordy. <laughs> My favorite Greek, I mean, excuse me, Latin term. But God uses our weaknesses. You think about Joseph who had tremendous family problems. You're talking about serious family problems? Joseph had them, but God used him. David, who lacked military experience and training, went on the battlefield and defeated a giant. Elijah, who was used greatly of God, who dealt with bouts of depression. Ruth, who was used greatly of God to illustrate what it means to follow after him battling through the loss of a husband, grief, and singleness. Caleb, who became one used of God, even in his old age, who could have said, I've done enough, I'm tired, but instead God used him greatly even in his 80s. Amos, who was just a fig farmer from Tekoa. From where? Exactly. Smyrna was somewhere. Smyrna was a city known to the rest of the world as a very special place, a place Rome held in high esteem, a place of beauty, probably the most beautiful city in this day that we're reading about, still in existence in Turkey, right on the Aegean Sea, where Homer was from, who wrote the Iliad, the Odyssey. It's here where these people who were the Church of Smyrna lived among great wealth, powerful people who felt themselves impoverished. I want us to go through this outline. Here's the outline we're going to cover for the seven churches that Jesus writes to. We talked about Ephesus last week. Today we'll talk about Smyrna in this way. The outlines will pretty much always be the same. The charge, the commendation, the condemnation that Jesus brings, the criticism that Jesus brings, and then eventually the counsel. But this outline today only has three points because there is no condemnation, no criticism that Jesus has to this church only counsel for what they're going through. To begin with, let's look at this 
and what Jesus has to say. And by looking at it, I want you to see the Lord's charge, but I'm gonna give some modifiers to uh, the statements I'm gonna make at the church. That This first modifier will be encouraging. Jesus makes an encouraging charge, an encouraging charge to the church at Smyrna. Look in verse eight. And to the angel at the church at Smyrna write these words, the first and the last, who died and came to life. Now, if you've been with us in the study of Revelation, you might recognize this verse is a repeated statement. Because in verse 18 of chapter one, Jesus told John, I'm the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This group of people may have looked very much impoverished, but they're rich, why? Because here Jesus says to them, I'm the one who holds you, and by the way, I have the one who've conquered death. No matter what you're facing, and yes, you're facing some tribulation, church, know this, I'm facing it with you, and I've already conquered your worst enemy. Therefore, don't identify yourself by the world's standards, but identify yourself by your relationship in me, the one who was dead and is alive. You may have heard the story of Johnny Lingo's eight cow wife, whether or not you like the story or not, if you've heard it, there's troubles and problems with it, but here's one part of it that I do like, and that is Johnny Lingo was supposed to be known for a great trader, a wonderful businessman in the South Pacific. When someone came to try to do some trading, he, w- he was told that he needed to find Johnny Lingo. Someone came from the West to trade in the South Pacific, you need to find Johnny Lingo. He's the greatest trader in our world. Then there would be laughter after that. Why the laughter? Because Johnny Lingo gave the dowry of eight cows for his wife, which was the highest dowry anyone had ever given. And when it was being laughed at, people said, she's not much to look at. She's not much to behold. She's not much to be around. She's pretty plain. She's pretty simple. So when this particular trader came to find Johnny Lingo and finally find out where he lived, he entered the village only to meet the la- a lady who was one of the most glorious, beautiful, intelligent, graceful, articulate people this guy had ever met. When Johnny Lingo did come out, he said, who is that lady? That's the most graceful, intelligent, sharp, glorious person I've ever met. Johnny Lingo said, that is my wife. And the story goes, before I met her, she only identified what people said about her, but I showed her how special she really was. And you know, that's exactly the way in which Jesus wants to speak to the church at Smyrna. The world would look at them as impoverished, as less than average, maybe less than, but Jesus says, no, you're wealthy, you're rich. I am the one who has you. I am the one who's conquered death and I have conquered it once and for all. This teaches us a little bit about who Jesus is and his relationship with his church. To begin with, Jesus loves his church. Smart, don't identify with anything other than what I've done for you and what I paid for you. Here's what Peter said. Listen to this. It's a great, great passage, one of my favorite. You were ransomed from the feudal ways of your inheritance by your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. I didn't buy you with eight cows or silver and gold. I bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
that like a lamb without blemish, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through you, you have become believers in God, who raised him from the dead to give him glory so that your faith and your hope is in God. By Jesus saying to the church at Smyrna, I am the one who was living and died and now is alive evermore. He's saying to them, I'm the one who paid the ultimate price for you. If you identify yourself with other things or what others say or how they value you, then you're making a huge mistake. You think you're impoverished. Know this, I'm the one who paid the ultimate price. I died for you. This demonstrates Christ's love for the church of Smyrna. But it also demonstrates his love for us today. Who are you? Someone that Christ was willing to die for. And it also demonstrates ultimately not only his love for us, but his glory to be revered by the church. Because Peter said, Jesus indeed paid the ultimate price. God gave Christ for us so that he, Jesus, would receive all of the glory. And when it is that we begin to recognize who we are in Christ and what he's done for us, then we can give him the glory that he's due in the world which becomes a weaponized armament against Satan and a witness to the lost world about who our God is. He's not like any other God. In Smyrna, there would have been all types of temples, temples to Aphrodite, to Zeus, to other Greek gods, all in ruins now. But our Lord, he is not one who was and is no more, but is and evermore, the one who died and will never die again. He's the one who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and Omega and the expected returning King. So know this church. No matter how you feel in America right now or in your own neighborhood, your worth does not come from this world. You are worth because Christ put worth in you when he bought you with his own blood and then glorified you as his own children and one day coming back for you to take you to his home in heaven. Some of us can trace our heritages back to know that our forefathers came to this nation. And I would imagine some of you, if you've traced it, probably have come to understand that somewhere along the line, one of your family members left their homeland, came to America only to await the rest of the family to show up. And when that family left their homeland, there would have had to have been great heartbreak and tears to leave their homeland, to travel across the Atlantic Ocean and to possibly New York Harbor, but there would be waiting on the other side of that ocean a loved one who has prepared a place. This is what Jesus would say to the church at Smyrna. You can leave this world and you can come home because I'm the one who's conquered and I have for you an inheritance in heaven. Never forget that church. This is an encouraging word, isn't it? Because what Jesus wants to do in the beginning here is to put courage in the church at Smyrna. They're going to face tribulation like they'd never seen. They're going to be thrown into prison. Jesus, as a matter of fact, with them, you're actually going to die, some of you. 
Encouragement is just that. It's putting courage into someone. It's coming alongside someone and saying, you can do it. This may be a lame illustration, but I always think about New Smyrna Beach when I think about the Church of Smyrna. I just can't help it. We used to surf at Ponce Inlet there at New Smyrna Beach because it's one of the best surfing spots in Florida, but it's also the shark attack capital of the world. Y'all know that, right? And one day we were there surfing and uh, I looked back at one of my buddies as we were way out and I looked and in between me and my buddy and I could almost reach my buddy, came a shark, fin out of the water. I could have reached down and grabbed the shark. It came that close to me and I did I panicked. I don't know what you would do. I almost walked on water. I mean, you know they're out there, but it's another thing when it just kind of cruises by you, right? So I told a fellow that was out there, there's a bunch of local guys, you know, the guys that surf out there all the time, like, hey, there's a shark coming at you. And you know what they said? They're out here all the time. They won't bother you. Don't worry about it. So I took great courage from that. You might think that I'm stupid, but it was a great day of surfing. <laughs> I might be both. <laughs> It's what it means to put courage into somebody to say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And I say that's kind of not an apt illustration because what Jesus is saying to the church at Smyrna is, I've already overcome the greatest enemy you'll ever face. So no matter whom or what you face, it will not compare to what I've already conquered. This leads me to my second point here from this text. I want to see our Lord's explanation as he commends the church an explanatory commendation. He commends the church. Look with me as he says, I know, I know your tribulation. This is further encouragement, further encouragement, and then an explanation of why they are to be commended. Here's the encouragement. I know. Imagine their predicament. What would Sunday morning worship look like at Smyrna? You show up. You come to worship to the church at Smyrna on the Lord's day. You look around to see who is there and to notice who's not. There are some people missing. Some not in worship. Why? They're in prison. Some are in heaven. Children are without parents. Parents in church without children. Leaders not among the ranks. Ushers not there. Musicians not present. Friends, family of faith. Because they have now been killed or imprisoned for the name of Jesus Christ. Worship would have been interesting. To call this a predicament or a tribulation is really an understatement for our purposes. They're under great pressure like olives in the press. Interestingly enough, Smyrna, Smyrna is a word, Smyrna is a word that means perfume, a particular type of perfume that is created by the crushing of a thorn brush. And the name of the perfume actually is myrrh. Myrrh, do you remember that Jesus was brought myrrh? That perfume, Smyrna, myrrh, Ismir is what it's called in Turkey now, 
is only created through the crushing of a plant. This is what is happening. You are being crushed, I know. You're in a tribulation, you're in a press. But it's in the press and in the crush that really the essence of our Christian life comes out. It was in college that I really began to have a quest for knowledge and a really hunger to read and to, to grow my mind. It wasn't simply because I showed up to college, because I showed up to college, frankly, about with the attitude I was going to show up to high school with. I'm going to get through this thing. But through being challenged by liberal professors, being in the pressure, as it were, of that particular environment, what came out of that was a desire to study and to know the truth that changed my life. It changed my life. And some of you have that. It's through relational breakdowns that you give a testimony that because of a breakdown in a relationship that you were brought to Christ or you were moving in a direction because that direction was interrupted and that dream was crushed that you look at the crushing now as a blessing because it brought you to Christ. There are unique crushings. This is what the Lord says, I I know. I know. This is encouragement too because here Jesus is saying this, I I know your tribulation. I understand. There are times probably when all of us have thought nobody understands. And Jesus would say, no, no, not nobody. I understand. I understand. In Hebrews 4, the Bible says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I know, I know, I care. I know your poverty. Look at the text. I know your poverty. Here it is. Christians living in a very wealthy city, believers now not sharing in the economic opportunities of that city, probably passed over for promotion, losing public service, losing personal property. They certainly would not have bought the American gospel that says, if you profess Christ, life will get better. If you profess Christ, you'll possess all types of blessings. We take Matthew 6.33 wrongly when it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. It's the last part of that we love, all these things added, and the first part we shun. Seek first. Too many, too many are seeking Christ as a utilitarian God to provide for them their desires. Paul warned us about this. He said the seeking of this type of riches through Christ is coming from a corrupt mind in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and that anyone who has a love of money does not have the love of Christ. Jesus put it this way, you can't serve God in money. You remember the church at Laodicea, we haven't got there yet, but church of Laodicea thought they were rich and Jesus said you're poor. They had all types of material possessions. But you're poor. Smyrna, no material possessions, but you're rich. I know your prosperity. Here's what Jesus said. I know your true prosperity. What is that prosperity? Well, it's the blessing of forever. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that Jesus, our Lord, is graceful. And we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
though he was rich, Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became what, church? Poor, so that you by his poverty might what? Do you just want to shout over that verse? I know that the world says poor Christians in Smyrna. Don't listen to it. I became poor so you could share in my riches. What I give you, no one can take away. The stock market can't ruin it. No amount of mistake by anyone around you is going to take it. No corruption is going to steal it from you. You have in me riches forever. And not only that, you have blessings now. I don't want us to think for a moment that the Lord wants us always to be materially poor. That's not necessarily the case. It's only when we think that God's blessings equate with material possessions that we are mistaken. Because there are times when we're going to have foes against us. And Jesus said, I know your poverty. I know your prosperity. I also know your foes. Look into the text again. We read here, I know your tribulation, but you're rich and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Who are these who say they are Jews? They're not. Well, ethnically, they were Jews. Spiritually, they were not. What does that mean? They were ethnic Jews. They were born Jews but they were not born again Jews. Paul clarifies for us what a true Jew is in Romans chapter two. For no one is a Jew who merely is one on the outward, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but God. In other words, here are people who were ethnically Jewish, but they were not spiritually Jewish. They were not saved. And because they were not saved, they were quick, quick to slander those who truly were saved. How did they do that? Well, most likely it was because the Jewish people in the day in which John is writing to the church at Smyrna had a pass. What was that pass? They did not, the Jewish people, have to offer sacrifices to Caesar. But by this time, many of them were offering sacrifices to Caesar. They were capitulating with the government. They had become politically liberal, though they were religiously conservative. They were right along the lines of the government trying to get their appeasement. And the one way to do that is to throw those who went against the government under the political bus. Those were the Christians. It wasn't just that the government was against the Christians. It's that there were people who were in their own families of these Christians, own families, blood relatives. And in the religious world, get this, follow this, in the religious world that were slandering the believers. We ought not be surprised by this because Jesus said, they call me Satan. What do you think they're going to call you? Now, when it comes to persecution and being thrown into prison and dying, I, I, none of us have experienced that. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are experiencing this right now. We have Christians that we give to 
faithfully, that we talk to regularly, who have been threatened and even beaten in recent days for their faith in Jesus Christ. We have people who have left America and gone to foreign countries whom we love and we know that have in recent days almost lost their lives because of Christ. I'm grateful that I can show up to church on the Lord's day. Never have to really think a lot about what might happen if I tell the truth. But around the world, there are many today who are looking over their shoulder, wondering what might happen to them because they tell the truth. These are slanders that have come against you, and it's what they've said against the church that also hurts, and let's just for a moment think about us, because though we don't face physical abuse, we certainly will be slandered for our faith in Jesus Christ, right? And uh, I, I don't know how many boys here got in fights, any of you boys getting fights on the playground when you were growing up? Part of growing up, boys getting fights. Girls getting fights. You probably don't remember a lot of those fights, do you? You might remember some. You don't remember most. But you probably do remember the cutting words someone said about you, someone said about your character, someone who cut you down in front of others, especially if it was someone who was, was, was an impression on you. Words matter, don't they? Words on a social media page matter. Church. What I do know this is, we, we need to be careful, just looking at this passage, not to be guilty of slandering others. There's too much of that going on in this world. There's too much sharing of stories that have no merit or basis in truth by Christians about other Christians online. Brothers and sisters who never met another brother and sister, never even had a conversation, willing to share the inside scoop about another believer. And then on the other side of that, we ought not to be gloomy. We ought not be guilty by sharing it gloomy when it's said about us. Because if you and I are going to stand for Jesus, we're going to be slandered for that. Are you ready for that? Let me use my third point, because this is the counsel that we receive. Our Lord's exhortive counsel. So he gives us an exhortation. So he's given us encouragement. He's given us an explanation of his incredible strength, but also now an exhortation. Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. I'm sure the church at Smyrna would have loved to have a letter. Oh, we have a letter from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open it. What does he say? What does he say? Does he say it's going to get better? Does he say we're going to succeed? What does he say? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you'll have tribulation. Most likely in this congregation at this point or some time shortly after is a gentleman by the name of Polycarp. Anyone who's ever preached a sermon on the Church of Smyrna has mentioned Polycarp, I'm sure. Polycarp was a gentleman that 
was discipled by tradition, discipled by John, who's writing the Revelation. Polycarp would become the pastor at Smyrna. We know that Polycarp was a faithful man of God. What do we know about Polycarp? He was an average guy, probably a C student from what we can tell. But when it came to following Christ, 4.0. Or in this day, it's like 5.0, because I don't even understand how they... He died at the age of 86. At the age of 86, he died a martyr's death. We know about his story. The church wrote about the faithfulness of their pastor Polycarp, who was killed by the Roman government. Why? Because he preached Christ. He was warned that he could get out of being killed if he would just simply call Caesar Lord and he would recant Jesus the Lord. You know, the, the Romans didn't mind that Christians were worshiping Jesus. They didn't care what God you worshiped so long as you would say, Caesar is king of kings and Lord of lords. Anywhere you went to a temple that Greek gods or Roman Greek gods were worshiped, there was this time of offering, but above every single one of those temples would have been these words, Caesar is king of kings, Lord of lords, or God of gods. 86 years old. It was said to Polycarp, if you'll just recant, we won't kill you. The proconsul trying Polycarp said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to the wild animals if you do not repent. Polycarp at 86 years of age replied, it is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad though be changed from the evil to righteousness. Well, then if you despise the animals, the proconsul said, I will have you burned. You threaten me with a fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished but you know nothing of the fire coming in judgment, eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. When they took Polycarp out to burn him at the stake, they began to put nails through his hands and he said this, you don't have to tie me nor nail me to this stake. I will gladly stand here and burn for my Lord. When the fire was lit, a great wind blew and blew the fire and the heat away from Polycarp. So he suffered there, not actually being burned, but being cooked. One soldier probably out of mercy took his spear and ran it through Polycarp so that he died. This is the pastor the church at Smyrna in 156 AD. There had been other martyrs up until Polycarp and there would be more to come. Tertullian, when the church father says, it is the blood of the martyrs that is the seed of the church. The application for us today. The application for us today. We have to count the costs of following Jesus. 
We will face persecution, slander, and even alienation. But Jesus would say to us, do not fear what you're about to suffer. I mean, as long as we tailor our message to the style of this day, then yeah, we're not going to receive a lot of pushback or blowback. As long as we're willing to compromise, as long as we're able to to say what the world around us is saying and try to appease the culture, we're not going to receive persecution. But the moment we stand up for the exclusivity of Christ to say, there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, then, then, until we're willing to say that, we're going to be appeasing this world. It's the exclusivity of Christ that causes us persecution and our trust and belief in the authority of scriptures that the Bible is above every book. If you were to come into my office and see all the books that I have, you would notice this, that on every bookshelf I have a Bible at the top, at the top over every other book only to illustrate the Bible is above every other philosophy. It's the Bible above every book. It's Jesus above all. And when we stand up with the Bible and say, we believe it to be authoritative from God, therefore, we believe marriage is created by God and it's not to be messed with by man. That God created uh, roles, he created genders, he created order and responsibility, which he will hold us to. Don't mess with it. We believe that life is precious from the beginning of conception to the final breath of an aged person. We're not going to be liked by the world. Counting the cost would, would press on us this question. Do we want to be liked by the world or do we want to be in love with Jesus? When we stand up for Jesus, we're going to welcome persecution. And I'm not telling us today that we ought to want it. I mean, we shouldn't feel guilty that we're not suffering like our brothers and sisters around the world try to figure out how we can get a good dose of it ourselves. But y'all, we live in the 21st century and the times, they are a-changing. And God's word is not And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it doesn't matter what side of history others are on, we're on the one side of history that sides with the one who is over history, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we stand, then there will be testing. The Bible tells us you will be tested for 10 days. What is that? It's interesting, isn't it? 10 days? It's a short amount of time, 10 days. But most likely meaning it doesn't last forever, the testing. The crushing, the pressing, it's there. But be faithful unto death. What Jesus would say to us today, if I could just bring this to a close. Be faithful. Be faithful till you die. You know, it's one thing to think about our lives and how short they are, and it is really interesting to think about our lives and how short they are. They are are short. Our lives are very, very, very short. But we ought not just think about, well, I gotta be faithful because one day I'm gonna die. I I need to be faithful on May 22nd, 2022, And if I can be faithful today, I can be honoring to Christ. 
We can kind of think of our faithfulness unto death in existential terms, you know, where we're, oh, we got to white knuckle and just be faithful. No, can we just be faithful for one more minute? Because our Lord said, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's not just among the lampstands. He's with us. We're not the light. We get light from him to light the world. He's the light. He's the one who's preeminent. So therefore, we don't have to fear anything. We can be faithful. Do not fear. Why? Because I'm overcoming death, and you're going to overcome the second death. Y'all, we're all going to die. We don't like to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. But here's the real question. Are you going to beat the second death? Because there's not only death, there's a second death, which is eternal death in hell. And those who have trust in Christ have hope for not only this life, but beating the second death and receiving the crown of life. Crowns aren't participation awards, by the way. They cost something. They cost Christ. He went to the cross. You know, in Smyrna, there there was a road known as the Golden Street. I tried to research it a little bit. The Golden Street. You know why I researched that? Because I didn't know there was a Golden Street in Smyrna. You may have known that. It was supposed to have been one of the most beautiful walks anyone could ever take. And there's a lot of beautiful streets in the world. I've been down some. Broadway in New York. The Pacific Coast Highway. I've I've been in foreign countries to walk down some very special, incredible roads, including this road. This road. It's known as the Via Della Rosa. The Way of the Cross. It was that road that I walked down realizing that my Lord went to his death on the cross and now has earned the conqueror crown. And anyone who desires to one day beat the second death has to walk the same road, the road to the cross, bow their knee to the King of Kings and honor him as the one who has conquered death for evermore. And by salvation, receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to study this little church this morning. Help us. Lord God, we live in a much different time and in a different world. Help us to be faithful. Help us to see what it means to be faithful to our family, to our friends, and to the community around us. For the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Stand up with another invitation. I want to invite you today to come to Christ if you've never come to Christ. There's only one way in which anyone will receive the crown of eternal life. That is the way of the cross. And one day, because we have the crown of eternal life, we get to walk on streets of gold. I think that would have resonated with the Smyrnans when they read the rest of the letter of Revelation. How that in heaven their streets of pure gold? They probably Christians there couldn't afford what was for sale on the streets of gold in Smyrna, but one day they'd be walking in their city on the streets of gold because one reason they have come to faith in Jesus Christ Himself. The only way you and I will go to heaven is if we have come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So today, if you've never been saved, if you come to Christ, I'll meet you here. Just come forward and come to Christ. Today, maybe you need to be baptized. Get right with God that way. Would you come and make that right? Or maybe God's going to join the church and you and God's in your heart. come right now. salvation, which is the right order or by immersion. Today, you want to get that right. If you'll go by Connect Point and let them know you want to get baptized, we'll be ready for you. If you show up out there, it's 4 o'clock that we're going to baptize, 4 o'clock. So I want to encourage you to be a part of this very special time of worship and profession of faith. I, I want to also do this. Your church invites people. I mean, this past week, someone told me how many times you guys have invited them to church. I'm like, well, when are you coming? coming very soon you know what that does thank you guys for being such uh so so faithful inviting people to church we we know the statistic is that most people come to church because they were invited not because they saw something online or uh, because they heard about it because they get a personal invitation i think it's like 86 percent of people come to church because they're personally invited that's crazy so thank you for being the type of church that invites people don't stop this week invite 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 next week by god's grace i want to pray for our offering and we'll be take time if you want to stop by and uh, see some of our uh, graduates accomplishments i know they would appreciate that some of you probably have known them for some time right and you want to just say a boy, a girl. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we've had today to worship you, to think about, Lord, how serious it is to follow Christ, to count the cost, to say, Lord, it's worth it, to give up everything if that's what you've called us to. Because as Paul said, the suffering of this world is not to be compared to the glory, the weight of glory that is to be to be realized. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.